Praise the Lord. We're so excited about this morning. We also have a special guest here with us. Josh, the intern, is back in the house. And he's also brought with him Candace, the fiance. She's here with us today, too. So they'll get married here in a few weeks, and then they're hoping to swing on back up to West Virginia. You guys made a big impact on their lives, and we're excited about that. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll jump into part two of Home. Dear Jesus, we thank you so far for what you've done already, God, and um, Lord, uh, your Holy Spirit's evident this morning, God, and uh, Lord, I pray that you continue to just uh, move and work, God. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, take a look at our inward man and uh, take a look at who we are on the inside, past the facade and past the masks and past the uh, impressions that we uh, try to make on people, God, and let's ask ourselves, how are we really doing? Is my soul home, God? Lord, I pray help us to be honest with ourselves this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Last week we began our series talking about how our soul finds home in God. And that home is where our story begins and the origin of our soul is the breath of God. And we talked about how easy it is for us to neglect our inward man. And how our soul can become restless and aimless. But that God didn't intend for it to be that way. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 this morning. Because we see all the way back in the chapter 2 of Genesis that God set Adam and Eve up for success. He gave them everything that they needed physically and everything they needed for their soul to be at home and to have a healthy soul. Now, this was before sin was in the picture. Imagine what that would be like to live in a sinless world, to never once have been tempted, to never to be pulled away from God, never have anything between you and anyone else, to never hold something against someone. Imagine what that would be like to live in a sinless world. Well, Adam and Eve got to experience that. Nature, man, creation, we're all free from sin. But see, once sin entered the story, it became the single most destructive thing to our soul. See, sin is enemy number one. Sin is the most detrimental force in all of the universe. Sin broke us. Sin added space between us and God. Sin is a home wrecker. And this is why Jesus stepped into the universe. God in the flesh came to mend that brokenness That sin caused. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is a beautiful verse that we reference a lot. It says, For our sake, he, being God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus came to separate us from our sin. In fact, Uh, Psalms 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And that's awesome. We all know that north and south meet at poles, but east and west never meet. And that's how far God has separated us from our sin. And once we've accepted Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, our sin is conquered. It is covered. Our sin is covered by Jesus now. We can go back to Genesis 
And look at what they had, that relationship that Adam and Eve had with God before the fall. And we can look at that and we can say, I can have that now. Hey, when sin's out of the picture, we can go back to that same relationship that they had with God. See, before we can really tackle whether or not our soul is healthy, we have to first address our sin problem. And that sin problem can only be solved by accepting what Jesus did on the cross for us. And now that we see that Jesus mended what Adam broke, we can go back and look at Genesis and we see how God intended us to live and what home really looks like. So today we're going to tackle four things from Genesis chapter 2 that God gave Adam and Eve after placing them right in the middle of paradise, right in the center of utopia. See, the Garden of Eden was this beautiful, flawless place that had not yet been tainted with sin. They had everything they could ever need. They had enough organic fruit to make a Whole Foods jealous, right? And the Bible says in Genesis 2.9, Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. They also had uh, all the pets that you could ever have imagined too, right? God gave them rule and reign over every creature. And I can't speak for Adam, but I know every single day I would have wanted to ride a different animal. I'd have saddled up a rhinoceros, I'd want to piggyback from a gorilla, or maybe even slide down a brontosaurus's neck like I'm Fred Flintstone. And I can't speak for Adam. I don't know whether he did that or not, but that's what I would do, right? See, this was not a dull life. They had acres of land, most likely, to enjoy. The Bible says there's three beautiful rivers, gold, onyx. It was a paradise. But have you ever thought about why God spent time making it a beautiful place, that Garden of Eden? He could have just made it functional, right? But no, every animal, every plant, every mountain and river river, uniquely designed by the master artist. Why? Because God wanted Adam and Eve to enjoy it. See, remember before the fall, Adam didn't have to till the ground or work the ground, the Bible says, or pull weeds or thorns. God wanted them to relax and enjoy his creation. Now, we don't, we don't worship nature, but there is something special and something amazing about creation that points our soul back to our creator. The Bible tells us that the heavens declare, the heavens proclaim, the heavens shout the glory of God. And some of the times I've felt the most at rest with God are times that I've just soaked in God's glory through his creation. When we were in Georgia, we used to go to Panama City every summer. And I remember the thing I liked about it the most, you know, there's the beach and there's the, uh, the pool and all that kind of stuff. But the thing I liked about it the most was the balcony that overlooked the ocean. And that you could just sit there and it was just something amazing about looking at God's handiwork and just meditating on how small you are. In Costa Rica, I remember standing on uh, the edge of a cliff as the Pacific Ocean crashed beneath us. I remember back as a a young child laying on my driveway and looking up at all the vast specks of stars in the universe and just there's something that draws your soul home about creation. And, And when we realize who we are in the vast expanse of the universe. Each of these times have pointed my soul home. But I'm also as bad as anyone else to constantly been thinking about the next thing and enjoying the next moment in life. 
instead of enjoying the one I'm actually in. Always looking to the future instead of enjoying the present. Someone once said this, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift, and that's why they call it the present. The person that said that was a turtle from Kung Fu Panda. Uh, but I think it's still legitimate. I like it still, right? Today is a gift, and that's why they call it the present. Hey, you can't do anything about yesterday. You can't do anything about tomorrow, but you can live in the day that you're in and realize that it is a gift. So the first thing God gave Adam and Eve's soul was rest. And in order to have a healthy soul, it has to have rest, relaxation, and enjoyment. That's the first thing they said about the garden, that they were supposed to enjoy it. Enjoying the fruit, enjoying each other, enjoying the beauty, taking time to smell the roses and enjoy the food, the land, and the animals. See, God designed this perfect place for Adam and Eve to live, and this is what it looks like. Especially those of us in the younger generation, we've forgotten how to slow down. And to how to unplug and to be at rest and to be silent and to be paused. And this is where we could really learn something from the generation above us, the older generation. Or more experienced generation, as I like to call it. But I have a friend that's my age that he was struggling with some stress and he went to a counselor. And that counselor prescribed to him to start a garden and to take walks. That sounds like something my grandmother would tell me, Right? But there's something real about that. See, rest works for your soul. It recalibrates you. It reminds you about the moments instead of worrying about what happened in the past or worrying about what's happening in the future. There's a movie I saw a long time ago, and it's kind of dumb, but it's called Click. And it's this movie, it really makes you think, though. This guy somehow gets in possession of this magic remote control. And he figures out that he can fast forward time. And he's excited about that because now he can fast forward through mowing the lawn, through changing dirty diapers, through fights with his wife or bored days at work. And he does it over and over and over again. But before long, he realizes now that he's an old man. And his life is all but spent up. And he realizes that he cannot rewind. And that is what life is like. Too often we're looking to get through something, to get to something else. And the fact is we miss the moments in our lives to enjoy the simple things. See, God modeled this for us on the seventh day of creation. God rested. So don't miss the mundane. Don't take for granted the simple moments. Don't wait to enjoy life until you have little time left. God has given us this gift called rest. So take time to enjoy those simple things, the taste of an orange, the smell of a lily. Your soul needs that. Your soul needs rest. Once again, we mention this a lot. I love this verse. Jesus says, come to me, all who are uh, heavy laden and who labor, and I will give you rest. Is that, is that describe your life, resting in Jesus? See, a restless soul is proof that we're not focusing on the fact that God is in control. And we get this illusion that we are in control. The next commandment God gives them in Genesis 2, verse 16, it says this. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat it, you shall surely die. Now notice here, God first gives permission, and then he gives restriction. He told them all of what they could do before God told them what they couldn't do. And if you've thought a lot about this account, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably asked yourself the question, why did God even put the tree in the middle of the garden, right? We could have all avoided all of this. Why did God even put the tree there? Well, it's because this, the second thing that God gave them for a healthy soul was restraint. See, our soul actually needs to hear the word no. No. See, no isn't a bad thing. No is hard sometimes, but it's not a bad thing. But you know from being a kid or having kids that no is necessary. I remember getting in kind of a, you know, one of my children was angry with me when they were about two years old because I wouldn't let them touch the grill. Real bad dad, right? I'm sorry I withheld that to you, from you. But why are we like that? We always want the thing that we cannot have. See, no isn't bad, though. Sometimes it feels bad, but no is necessary. See, God gave them the tree in the middle of the garden to give them a choice because he didn't want you to be a robot or a puppet. He wanted us to have the free will to choose to love him. We've probably all known that kid in school that's parents had given them everything, right? In Georgia, it was the 16-year-olds that would drive $50,000 trucks. And I'm sure you could guess what their personality was like, right? Real hardworking kid, right? He really appreciated everything he ever got, right? Now, sometimes no is helpful. I used to tell my youth group that uh, the hard questions in life are not between right and wrong, but they're between good and best. See, sometimes in our life, it's not right and wrong that we struggle with. It's something that's good and something that's better. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And a lot of times that's where we get stuck with our Christianity, that the Bible says I can do this, but that doesn't mean you have to do that. You can still say no to your soul. And in fact, it's good for you to say no every once in a while. That's why part of why fasting is good. Because you're saying no to yourself and you're recalibrating who the leader is and who the follower is. No. See, restraint is something that we need. But see, we don't like no's because we think they're bad. But no's are only bad if you want something more than you want God's perfect will for your life. I'm so glad that God shut some doors on some romantic relationships in my life. Because those shut doors led to Tori. And also helped me dodge a lot of bullets in hindsight. <laughs> I'm so glad that God shut doors in my professional life because those shut doors led here and also helped me dodge some bullets in hindsight. See, shut doors aren't bad. They're answers. That's great. Thank you, God. No isn't bad. See, God gave them a forest full of yeses and gave them one no. We see in this Genesis account, even in this perfect paradise for the soul, that God sets up rest and he sets up restraint. Next we see in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
Adam had a job, right? We don't think about that with paradise, right? We want to be fanned with a palm leaf and someone feed us grapes. But Adam had to work. He had responsibilities. But see, in our culture, we always are looking forward to the weekend. I'm working for the weekend. We love Fridays, TGIF, and there's even a restaurant that's named after that. And then we hate Mondays. And our work for us is this drudgery thing. But God didn't expect it to be that way. God didn't intend it to be that way. God gave Adam a job. All you single ladies out there, you should take a tip from this. When that man starts a calling, you better make sure he's got a job. Why? Because a job is healthy for the soul. Responsibilities aren't bad. See, Adam tended the garden. He worked the garden. And there have been times in my life where I've done things and I have not put my best into it. That doesn't feel great. It doesn't just the squeak by. That's not a good feeling. But the times that I pulled out all the stop and I put everything into something, even if it didn't go well, I knew I tried my best. And there's something God honoring about that. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men. Put your heart into it. That word heartily doesn't only describe soup, right? It's a real hearty soup. No, work heartily. Ask for the Lord. Even if you're a toll booth collector, even if you're waste management, even if you're something that the world looks on as a menial task, you can work for God through your work. The Bible even says it's something as simple as handing someone a glass of water in God's name is God honoring. And our soul needs responsibility. And it's good for us. How many times have you helped somebody and you were intending on helping them, helping a needy person, but you're the one that left feeling refreshed and rejuvenated? Whether it's feeding the, the mission or the water walk or missions trips or Super Bowl parties, you were the one working, serving, and giving, but you were also the one that was leaving feeling refreshed. You may not love your job, but a job is good for your soul. And a job is better than no job. God sets up this paradise for Adam and Eve with rest, restriction, restraint, and responsibility, and lastly, relationship. We talked about this in our DNA series. You were not made to walk alone. And if you want to have a healthy soul, you will have to live in relationship and in community with others. That's how you were made to live. God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. Now, marriage is not the only kind of relationship that's important, though. Friendships are very important as well. And we hear youth pastors talk about that a lot, right? You need to be careful about uh, your friends. You need to make sure you pick the right kind of friends. But I believe that's vitally important for adults as well. Someone once said this, that your friends determine your future. You need to be careful about who you allow to influence your life. Because your friends will determine your future. I think that's true. I know it's been true in my life. I remember uh, when I was about uh, 19 years old. You, may, you might be this person that says, look, I, I, the only friends I have are bad friends. And if I didn't have bad friends, I wouldn't have any friends. And I was there. 
I was uh, living in Pennsylvania and, and working a job, and uh, my friends were not great. They weren't a good influence on me. I'm 19 years old, and we're, like, playing pranks on the pastors all the time, and, like, I wasn't mature. And God moved in my heart and called me into the ministry, and he impressed on my heart to go to Champion Baptist College, which was in Hot Springs, Arkansas, 21 hours away for this Yankee to travel into the middle of Arkansas, which if you have ever been there, then you know it's not worth going. Uh, and I can say that because we're in West Virginia, and I'm not scared. But as I'm driving this long drive, something awesome about solitude, right? And just time to think. I began to look at my life and to investigate my life. And I remember vividly praying and begging and asking God to give me one friend. And not just any friend, but a friend that would push me closer to God. And that would sharpen me. I had lots of friends that had pulled me down. And I had been one of those friends that had pulled other people down. But I prayed and I asked God, give me one friend. The very first thing that happened when I got into my dorm room at this Christian college is there's this man, 33-year-old man, I'm 19, and he's my roommate. He's tatted up, just gotten out of prison for manufacturing methamphetamines, and I thought for sure, God, that is not it. This is not the friend that you called for me. But the truth is, he was. That man had gotten saved in prison. Mike, he's a godly man today. And he pushed me towards Christ. And he was a person, and it was great that he was older than me because he was mature and he knew right from wrong and I was just, just coasting through life. And God answered my prayer. And through Mike and his fiance, I met Tori. And after we graduated from college together, we went and started a church together in Missouri. See, you might not have that friend now, but if you're never willing to say, all right, I'm going to part with these over here, and I'm going to set out and look for a new one. I'm going to pray God gives me some friends, some people around me that encourage me rather than pull me down. See, God answered my prayer, and God will answer yours too. We need relationship. We need that person that will sharpen us. The four things, these four things are essential for a healthy soul. Rest, restraint responsibility, and relationship. Remember, the, the very first thing we need to make sure is that our sin problem is covered through Jesus Christ. And then we can begin to restore what was lost in the garden. Rest, restraint, responsibility, and relationship. Remember, none of these things are available apart from God. And if your relationship with God is still broken because of sin, you won't Find that rest. You'll kick against the restraint. You'll dread the responsibility, and you will be selfish in your relationship. See, God is not an accessory to your life. Western Christianity has tried to add God on to the American dream, and that's not how God intended. God does not want to be your co-pilot. He wants to be the pilot, the plane, the fuel, the seatbelt. God wants all of you. He wants you to say, God, here am I. Give me back whatever you want. You take it all. Are you taking time to rest your soul and to enjoy life? Are you okay with no and restraint? Are you honoring God in your responsibilities? Have you made relationships that point your soul home? 
See, your soul needs to be home, and home is found in deep relationship with God. Giving back that borrowed breath, that is where a healthy soul starts. Is your soul healthy at home today? Let's stand to our feet and bow our heads. Once again, we're going to ask you to be real with yourself this morning. No one's looking around, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. This is a time where you can inwardly meditate on who you are. How's your inward man doing today? Are you just making it through? Are you just struggling through? On a Wednesday, are you just looking forward to the weekend? That's not how God intended life. Maybe you're burnt out, you're stressed out, your phone is ringing nonstop, and you're just engulfed in all the news of the day, and your soul just needs some silence and some rest and just a time to enjoy God. Maybe you've been kicking against the no, that God's been saying no, 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 and you've fought it tooth and nail. Give in. He knows. See, see, no is only bad if you want something more than you want God's perfect will for your life. Maybe you're that person, you're like, yeah, I'm an adult, but man, I need some new friends. My friends are tearing me down. And all they talk about is who they think I am. But I want to be somebody different. I want to be somebody that loves Jesus and my testimony is a reflection of my relationship with God. Are you willing to be honest with yourself today? How are you really doing? Altars open this morning. God spoke to your heart about anything. It doesn't have to even be about what we talked about today. Maybe you've got a burden. Someone's sick. Maybe your marriage needs some help, a touch. You come as we sing.